mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Robert? I'm feeling like a troubled soul. Really? Not really, no. But I thought about troubled souls a lot because today's guest is not a troubled soul himself. (laughs) That's all you know. (laughs) But he is a very passionate person. And actually, I felt a kind of... What's the word? Affinity. Can you say, yeah, affinity or kinship or something with him because of his passion, because he um, has been described as a polymath uh, because he's obviously very knowledgeable about numerous things Mm. as well as being very talented. He's Mm. an actor and um, very funny man, but also a multidisciplinary, amazing script writer. You may come again. (laughs) Thank you. But I connected with him because he made this incredible documentary about John Minton, who was an artist that I knew nothing about. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people knew about him. No. And John Minton was a troubled soul. And there are elements of John Minton's life story that I also connect with because he was gay and there's a whole kind of... um, You're not gay, are you? Am I? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm really thrilled to meet our guest today. And I I was really thinking about this whole idea of being like a super fan and somehow that um, you can be educated and you can have all those things but actually some of the things that change your life are personal passions and I remember being a teenager myself and really connecting to the life story of Frida Kahlo which I've spoken about before Mm -hmm. and for our guest I think John Minton had a very similar effect so I'm looking forward to to meeting our guest today great we would like to welcome Mark Mark Gatiss hello hi Mark how are you very good Good. Not, not very. Not so troubled today. Not so troubled today. <laughs> Good except news. Like the world situation. Yeah. Yes. Oh horrific. This horrific. is going out post-apocalypse. Yeah. This is. Yeah, it's just us here. Grey wilderness. We no, don't realise it's just us cockroaches <laughs> that are remaining. <laughs> but they're good listeners. Mum's yeah. on seats. It never doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not sure they're there anymore either. <laughs> I don't think anything's there. Don't, don't. So, but anyway, but we were just talking about troubled souls and we touched on John Minton and this is um, an artist which you felt very strongly connected to because you saw a self-portrait of his in the National Gallery when you were a teenager, right? Mm. Yes. I mean, it was one of those moments, you know, uh, I, I was on a trip, school, not a school trip, but a trip to London and... Um, National Portrait Gallery, and I saw this picture, mm. and I just immediately sort of fell for it. I mean, not you know, not in the sort of silly ways like I knew he was dead, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there was something so sad about it. These huge sort of plaintive brown eyes and this sort of sort of sad clown face. Yeah. Someone once said he had a face like a Renaissance saint that had been left too a wax Renaissance okay. saint that had been left too close Nailed. to the fire. Got it. Mm. And uh, I love... It's quite this. sag, yeah. wasn't it? It's sort of hot, like, sallow. Curious, yes. Yeah. Sort of, it's a clown's face, really. It's right. a sad clown's face. And I, I loved the style, sort of slightly scratchy style. And it, what I then discovered, really, was a sort of mid-century style, which is still really pretty unfashionable. And I, I fell for the style mm. and... A lot of those people around him, Keith Vaughan and the the Roberts and that sort of Soho 
circle. Mm. And then I then very rapidly afterwards I saw the Lucian Freud portrait of Minton, which is astonishing. Yeah. Which is like a sort of death. Is that that's portrait. not a National Portrait Gallery no, as well, is it? I don't know where that is. No, it was it was in the Minton Centenary uh, a couple of years ago in Chichester, but I don't know where it's actually housed. But Minton asked Freud to paint him, and it it is a sort of statement. It's, it's a like, total. It's, like, it's a quite story. a devastating yeah. painter. He painting. commissioned him, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So how, would he have paid so him to do it? Yeah, I think so. So yeah. how, what, what sort of money would that have been? Well, I don't know. I mean, they were sort of frenemies. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of stuff just come out um, since um, Freud's death. A lot of books, and I was reading one the other day, and uh, there's a rather depressing little moment when he's, he's. I think he's in his studio, and someone sort of says, "Oh, Johnny Minson's killed himself," and Freud just kind of goes. <gasps> and it's or not, just shrugs, shrugs it, it off. It doesn't reflect. That was on radio. I forgot. Um, yeah. It doesn't reflect very well on him. But there were there was a there was a point where he was sort of leading the pack, and then he absolutely fell. It felt like yeah. yeah there's lot. I mean, there's lots of stories in there. We we come on to that. Oh, but I just want to go back oh. to you and how you got into visiting gallery spaces and everything. And so this, was this one of the first times you were in a gallery space? Well, as I remember, I tell, it's all a bit. It's a bit blurry. Like these things are. Uh, my first sort of few trips to London, but I was always, I always loved art. I always drew, and from like what age, like oh, very, like four or five, right, right, right. you know. And, and where, where did you grow up? Uh, County Durham, County the northeast. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was, you know, very encouraged. I have to say, my art teachers were great, and but and I always loved, I loved looking at paintings, particularly. Uh, I've always loved religious paintings, oh, right? Uh, and and I, I've always sort of been hungry to to know more about various painters, you know. So I would... Do you think that's a gay thing? A lot of people said they look at Christ on the cross because he's this naked man yes. with a loincloth <laughs> around his bits. And a lot of gay people have found that that's their first kind of connection with you know the, the what? naked male. There's quite a few um, uh, famous women who talk about that as well. Mm, so really? I think it's just a... Well, there's, I mean, there's, there's two things going on. One is that they, a lot of those altarpieces and things were explicitly commissioned to provide exactly that that for thing. titillation, really, yes, definitely, no, yes, yes, yes. They, I mean, there's a reason why. So there is so much homoeroticism in those, wow. in those pictures. It's people. It's the only. They was like, I'd like you to do a Saint Sebastian, please. Oh, would you? Uh, and <laughs> Saint Sebastian uh, you know, was the guy who got the arrows yes. through him, but he's always this beautiful oh, young man with yeah. golden, yeah. like curly hair, and uh, he's topless. And, and you can sort of tell the ones which are sort of. Uh, general church yes. <laughs> and things that might have been for private introspective oh my god it's a real thing a very very real thing and there are occasions if you can find them which are absolutely fantastic where there are reverse pictures which are much more explicit Saucier. yeah for private contemplation but I think there's that and then in a sort of modern context uh, as you say it's like for me, all, all I had was the underwear, underwear section of the Brian Mills catalogue, mm. <laughs> or Jesus. <laughs> so I'm sure there was a lot of that going on. But you're sort of drawn to those things, and then, um, and then I was also very into Aubrey Beardsley. Who's that? Oh, wow. uh, he was a, well a genius uh, illustrator. Uh, he died when he was 25. Um, British. Yeah, right. and he was the master of pen and ink. It's incredible. In fact, I'm making a documentary about him at the moment. Oh, great. And uh, so he and Minton, I think, were the sort of twin... He was pole. a gay guy, though. He wasn't gay. Oh. He was other. It's a long, I'll come on to him because it's very interesting. Oh, right. The original non-binary, was he? Sort of. Wow. And he was so ill. He had consumption and died of, of it at 25. He was sort of virtually bedridden. And, and his life was lived through his pictures, which are extraordinarily erotic. 
I mean, almost in your face doesn't come into it because I'll describe this later. Yeah. But somewhere in that sort of admixture of, of you know, being a teenage gay and and wanting to find a life and a, um, something to sort of project yourself mm. onto your own experience, which I think everybody does that with, with, with paintings and with artists. You sort of think, Frida Kahlo, whatever you go. Yeah. I, who are you? I want to know what was your life. Why is it? Is it like mine? Can I? Can I be like you in some yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that going on, and and therefore I, you know, I, I did. I sort of read up a lot on the history of art and tried to go to a lot of galleries uh, whenever I could. Did but, you want to be an yeah. artist? Not really. Any, any I mean, I, I at school I always loved drawing, and I struggled with painting. Um, I, I, I mean, really, I think I don't know what we actually painted with. It can't have been much. Crayons. Well, crayons. Can't be much of post poster paint. Glitter, glitter. <laughs> probably, <laughs> a glory, glory. probably acrylic paint. I did this amazing glory picture. But but I I paint now, and I, yeah. and I'm. It's art has become a an incredible solace for me. I've sort of rediscovered everything I loved about it. Oh, and wow. it's, uh, it's been an amazing thing for me. Well, because when I was looking at... I mean, you sent me some images of artworks that you've made. I was looking up on Google... Dick pics. Dick, just dick pics of your own dick, <laughs> uh, which is astonishing. But there, <laughs> there, was, uh, <laughs> there was images online of drawings you've done, and I found a lot of it... There's a lot of fan pics of you everywhere because you have a massive fan base. If you just put in Mark Gatiss art, there's just lots of images from all over the world, mainly South Korea. You've got a big following. Okay, but yeah. also that must have increased with the whole Doctor who like connection of course and, and sherlock sherlock yeah of course and, and also and game of Dra thrones and dracula because game God. of thrones uh, pedro always gets drawn our friend yeah. pedro pascal was in game oh, of thrones, yeah. and he gets so many paintings and drawings yeah. of him but i found drawings that you'd made one especially you tweeted of david tennant which then went viral oh, yeah, everywhere, yeah. a long time ago which was yeah. an amazing work and <laughs> one of les dawson that was up for some charity <laughs> auction wow but a lot of the work that you you seem to be doing is portraiture of other people mm. And um, why do you think that is? Why are you drawn to that? Is that mainly your output at the moment when you're saying you're making art yourself? Yes, I like, I, I like them the best, I think. I mean, I've done a little bit of landscape and still life and I would like to do more. I'm just trying to get better and learn. But mm. I lo I've always loved people's faces. I think mm. the reason I went and I saw that Minton picture all those years ago and the reason I went to the National Portrait Gallery, which is still my favourite, mm. is I just love looking at people's faces and that there's, there's there's a lot going on there you look there's that thing you can look at someone and see they have an extraordinarily modern face yes i always look uh, at the paintings and it's like old holbeins and i'm like oh well bendit cumberbatch could play yeah, that yeah, part yeah, yeah. or eddie redmayne yeah. a bit you could yeah. you can cast them because yeah. you go wow you look exactly the same as someone now or hogarth yeah. particularly who yes. actually is um ross kemp it's 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 eluded him, but he looks exactly like Ross really? Kemp. He really what does. The EastEnders times or now? I mean, he hasn't bit of changed. Both, bit yeah, of, bit of both. Um, but <laughs> the EastEnders times. <laughs> but uh, there's that, and then there's also you look at people who look strangely distant. It's like they belong to their age, you know, mm. which I find. And then and then just like you think, what's going on? You can there can be a very um, a very straightforward picture. John Singer Sargent is one of my absolute favourites, yeah. an absolute genius. In the end, he said, I can't, I can't paint another portrait. I'm so sick of them. He was a, the most incredibly famous and rich society portraitist. And for a long time, people thought that's all he was. If you look at his pictures now, they are psychologically fascinating. Yeah. Mm. And he does all these rich people 
Dame Ellen Terry is the yes, one. Yes, yeah, I the, saw as, in a, as in Lady, a, Lady Macbeth. Shakespearean yeah. role. Yes, she because uh, Sargent lived on the same street as Oscar Wilde, Tite Street in Chelsea, and there's there's weirdly, despite the fact they were near neighbours, there's no real connection. Sargent was almost certainly gay, but. Uh, there's a wonderful thing where where Wilde um, watches Ellen Terry arrive in a in a cab wearing the dress. No, yes, she just comes out as Lady Macbeth <laughs> just to be painted. It's like, oh, I wonder what she's up to today. <laughs> but his pictures are, you know, there's a lot of strange stuff going on. This he does all these American families and stuff, and there's a, an amazing one. I can't remember what it's called, but there's these three children with great big Chinese pots behind them, and on the surface, it looks like just. A portrait of someone's kids, mm. but they—they're they're all there's something going on. They're all troubled. He, they're all tro- he finds his way into them, and that's interesting yeah. because um, I heard you talk before about the early days of the League of Gentlemen, which was obviously I think that's how you initially broke through, no? Yeah. Um, as a writer of that, but also as a Former. star of it, um, and those characters in League of Gentlemen were again like based often on real people. Mm-hmm. You know? So you got this kind of psychological because it was incredibly funny, but it's also incredibly like there's on a lot the point. of troubled souls. Yeah, there. and like they the depth. No, but it's the depth of characters are really. Yeah. That's why it's so powerful because it's like and it was definitely a precursor to little britain and all these other things that then you know had a had a platform in a way i think because of that show Mm. but i find it so dark that kind of human condition that is present in that work so do you think that's also just like a passion of yours i suppose it's just it's it's the same thing it's sort of looking at people and, and 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 their lives and finding that interesting and you know when you you come across a sort of a situation or a life that you think, well, there's something interesting going on there, or that uh, potentially funny, but also what we always did in the league, I think, which is, which is embrace the pair of them, as it were. I um, I always say there's a, there's a false there's a false kind of um, disparity between funny and sad. That's what life is like, mm-hmm. and it's like More you know, comedy tragedy. Comedy, it is. It's, yeah. a, it's a flip of the same thing, yeah. and 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 everyone knows that. And yet, it's, you know, comedies never win Best Picture Oscar, mm. and and a great comic performance is is never as good as a great tragic one. Be, you know what I mean? It's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, you, true, it's yeah, absolute yeah. nonsense because and making people laugh is the hardest thing in the world, and it's what everyone wants the most. But it's always inflected with sadness. I think the best things are. It's bittersweet. It's no. And character. actually, it's weirdly making me think of Jim Carrey because Jim Carrey, like, he's got that combination of like real sadness well, I, in his comedy. You somehow. think of Robin Williams? Yeah, Robin Williams yeah, yeah. exactly. It's just that ability. They're the great, they're the best they? performers. That yeah. the ability yeah. to be funny and then make you cry. I don't. Th- I mean, there's a, there's a there's a sort of ongoing myth about you know about troubled comics yeah. mm. that the best ones are actually like Hancock are just like suicidal and yeah miserable off stage there's an well. awful lot of truth in that mm. but at the same it's not necessarily uh, it doesn't have to be that way uh, it is absolutely true that John Cleese stopped being as funny when he got better so 40 Towers he was at his lowest it, point absolutely. emotionally in yeah. his life and it was the best and comedy that, work thank ever, god yeah. he's happy now but he's he's not as funny <laughs> yeah. oh god <laughs> but um but but I, it doesn't have to be that way you know yeah. and but i think it's a me- there's a measure of it i think you, you if you see the world in its sort of absurdity in one way you also see its sort of squalor and its grotesqueness but then that's part of the thing. That's part of the joy. It's a very Hogarthian thing. Yeah. I think there's an amazing celebration of life yeah. and all its excesses, and but it's also terribly, you know, fleshy and sad and 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 bleak. Well, it, it seems like it's the interior which is what you're drawn to mm. in portraits. So when when you're drawing people now, do you feel like you're 
trying to do what you're saying John Singer Sargent was doing or like John Minton was doing is you're trying to get to the interior of these people. I suppose. I mean, I'm just trying to get better. I mean, the, the truth... I'm quite, I'm this good. is a passion project for you, yeah, yeah, is it? Or is it this is. something you'd like to have a show one day? I'm, I might, but yeah. I don't know what. But I, I'm, try, I'm just trying to learn. And I find that's something I kind of... Having sort of rediscovered it, mm. and I rather wish I'd done this 20 years ago. So when did you rediscover it? About two years ago. Oh, I, I see. Just, so really recently. Yeah, I... I've always dabbled, and I had a little. I've got a little room in the back of our house, which was explicitly built to paint it, and then just became no like way. a junk room. You so know? you made it then? When, when was it? When did you that build was, it? Uh, that's fifteen years. And you were like, I want to use this room. Yeah, for one and I drug. did. So and it was I'd, always there. The and thought, then I did yeah. not do anything for six months. Yeah. And, and I just thought, I want to. Oh, you didn't write in there. That was literally like, this no, is the painting yeah. room. And this then, is the writing and room. And then junk room. <laughs> right, 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 right. And the Chinese room. But also, I imagine you're incredibly busy. Because I saw the the talk you did for the Oxford Union. Oh yeah, yeah. And it said you had to like you mentioned you had to like cancel it twice before because you were just so busy. And I you, am. Yes. You know, between but, acting and writing and all these things you're doing. But you've got to make room for this. That's yes. what. That's what I. That's a decision I made a couple of years ago. Was mm, like I'm going to make room. I'm going to go to classes, mm. try and get better, learn about mixing paint and all the things I've sort of nearly done for years. Mm. You, you know, because you, you sort of I, I've done that thing. Have you do that? But, you sort of start thinking, I'm not sure, but I think somehow I'm, I imagine I'm going to have another life. Yeah, it's an <laughs> parallel. It's an yes. estuary, isn't it? It yeah. takes you off. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. go, actually, no, if I, I need, need to do this or I'm never going to do never it. Never going to do it. Yeah, it'll just be a thought in your mind. Where yeah. are you doing art classes then? Is this a regular thing? I did uh, I did a weekly one in Islington with my friend Aaron and we, we I mean, it was, we, had, we had a great laugh. But and we there's so much come out of that I can't tell you just in terms of writing. Oh Actually really? Meeting people. Oh characters. I've right. got an idea for a play and all sorts of stuff. Really? Yeah. Oh, we, and characters. Uh, but that's proof but, you need to live your life as well. Yes. Yeah. In order exactly. to get. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's often as much people the spend like thing. the whole of their teenage years and all your early years of forming, and then you come out with your amazing project, like your debut album or your first script or something, yeah. and then people forget they they lived. And well, that's yes, the reason you've got you get nothing exactly. left to talk. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, yeah. so true. Yeah. That's what Andrew Davis always. You know, if you want to be a writer, don't just write. You've got to do stuff. Yeah. Because otherwise, you write about being a writer, uh, mm. and I think that's it's acting, acting as well. You know, you so much of it is informed by just your life and, yeah. and yeah. odd things or strange, unusual things or funny things that happen to you. Mm. Just go and that's you know. Do you stop um, if people are arguing on a bus? Would you stop and listen, or if there's a row in the street, would you kind of stand in the doorway and observe? Oh, I try. I mean, I never done that Alan Bennett thing of actually writing down stuff. I think I should. I sometimes put things on my phone because yeah. people do honestly yeah, say, say the most incredibly thing. funny and odd things. Yeah. Um, well, I, I more do. Um, I quite sort of collect voices sometimes. There was a this guy I met at a dinner party literally fifteen years ago, who had this. It sounded a bit like it was like Charlton of the Wheelers. He had this extraordinary voice like that, and. And I couldn't get over it. I just wanted him to talk forever. It was, I think it was in a stage management spot like that. And I and I've, I held it back for years. I didn't know what to do with it. And then there was a character in the, in the League specials we did a couple of years ago. And uh, I thought, well, I think it's this. And then the thing is, I, I, I literally corpsed myself. I thought about <laughs> it so long. All I had to say was, uh, it was quite a big fella. It was like, I'm, I'm not going to have much. I'm going to have uh, four or five starters. And I'd made myself laugh thinking about it so much. But when we shot it, I couldn't do it. I was crying with laughter. I was so ashamed. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> but you, you were able to archive that sound in your memory just by that line. That, that kind of like you give yourself four or five starters that that <laughs> quote and then you was able to access that voice yeah, again that's we'll quite be able to do that, do well and then and then you record it on a voice memo 
No, no, no. No, you hold it in yourself. Oh, you just hold it within you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But it's oh, that's cool. That's that's but, like a that's. I mean, I, as an actor as well, that's sort of what I do. Is that you mm. hold on to these things in your psyche, don't yeah, you? And yeah, then you're able to just draw on them later on. It's if you're lucky that you, that that's a sort of um, a sort of reservoir you can draw on. Yeah. Like, you know, or or, or you know. A personality type, you know. There's all that sort of actory bollocks about starting with the shoes and all that sort of stuff. But the absolute truth is, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And I, for personally, I often I don't feel I'm there until I've got the voice, and then everything sort yeah, of. Yeah, mine's clicks, a rhythm you know? thing. If I know if I can find a rhythm and for that character, then I'm like, oh, okay, I think I know what this is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can sit in that comfortably, can't yeah, you? Yes, so and that's that's the thing. If you feel comfortable in yourself, I think then you 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 can just go off and yeah. do other do yeah, yeah, do yeah. it without feeling like you're sort of plonking fake things on top of yourself. But you can also you know? feel it instinctively when you yeah. are doing that, can't you? When you're, yeah. I've just started thinking about this idea of you going back to painting. And is there something for you about making art that's... Because it's you, you know, in front of a canvas or in front of a page if you're about to draw something. It's so, like, you facing yourself somehow. And also that kind of solace to sort of go... Because I, I guess a lot of what you do is talking to the world and connecting with lots mm. of people. Even if you're writing it, it still then goes out and connects. So in a way, is it more personal for you to go back to that sort of place yes. of creative I mean, to painting use a, or something? To use a very a buzzy word, it's very mindful. I oh, yeah, think. of course. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the only thing I ever do where I can forget. I'm, I'm a, I am a tea addict. <laughs> and as the only thing I do where I can forget I've got a cup of tea. What sort really? of tea? Just sort of builder's tea. Builder's, really? But, um, Normal I, milk? Normal milk, yeah. Oh, wow. And I just, I turn around and go, oh my God, it's stone cold. Because I've forgotten about it. Nothing else can keep me from tea. That's interesting. So but you kind I, of lose guess, yourself oh, yeah, in the... lose myself. It's like it uses a different part of my head that, and, and it's meditative, meditative yeah, it's, obviously. It's meditative, and, and you sort of, you know, that it's lovely tra- thing. You go into a trance Yeah. Then. You know, even when you watch kids, uh, I love this, when you watch kids drawing and they've got their tongues out. Yeah, concentrating. It's, it's just, it's that, it's that thing going on. And I think if you get into a zone where... You know, you try. This is my favourite bit is when, especially doing a portrait, is when you, you've got your palette is sort of fluid enough that you're going, oh, it's it's that colour there. And you can just sort of draw it, take it. Wow. And, and it's difficult to get into that stage. You, you can't sort of start cold. Uh, I often try and do a, a thing in one sitting because if you go back to it, you have to sort of start again. You end yeah. up just doing another layer and stuff like that. But I think that is really very sort of mindful you kind of you feel like you're in a zone you know and then you stand back and think like shit <laughs> you're gonna have to start again <laughs> do you have natural light in your studio yeah yeah and um but i'm gonna do a bit more i'm gonna sort of try and make it a bit more professional in terms of like artificial light and and cutting off light just sort of making the way if, if you're painting a still life you sort of put it in a box yes so you've got constant light and, yep, stuff like yeah. that. Well, and i've got more it, yeah. more people sitting for me now which i like i'm trying to do more directly from light really, oh, really? Yeah. that's interesting hard. and these are paintings or are these these drawings still mostly paintings yeah wow but, but the draw and and drawing is like charcoal has been a total revelation to me and that came from doing classes i tried charcoal years ago and i just i just just got so messy messy yeah it. yeah but it, you know it's an amazing there's this thing called mass effect uh, which you um, you essentially mass everything in, and then you take it away with little stubs of paper and then a rubber, and it creates an amazing sort of three D quality, mm. like a proper head, you know. And it's been a revelation to me. I love so for shading and shadowing. Yeah. It's like oh. absolutely amazing. You're making me want to draw. <laughs> I, I haven't made art since oh. I was about. 
11. Well, come on. On just drawings and stuff. I used to like draw my parents' garden or their car or their house and stuff. But it's really bizarre. I, I literally have shut off. That's why I love art so much because I don't make it actually. Well, you should do it. But yeah, you're I mean, making it... me think that idea is slowing down as well. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm so like, you know, I've ideas doing all the time. I like to just make plates, yeah. throw a plate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, we love a good ceramic, though, don't we? We do love a ceramic, don't we? Don't do, <laughs> we do. So let's get back to John Minton and you at the National Portrait Gallery when you was uh, 18 or something, younger? Four. No, Four. it's about, 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 <laughs> yeah. about You're a quick. <laughs> and is that is that portrait still there? Is that a constant in the MPG? It is. Yes. Uh, it was. Um, actually, I did a photo shoot a couple of years ago, and they just res- renovated the gallery, and I, I I had to go there out of hours, and it was amazing because oh. I always go and look at it. But Do I'm you? Is it like there. a touchstone yeah, yeah. for you? And it's it's sort of as I remember, it's pretty much in the same place because that that's my favourite part as well, the 20th century. Uh, gallery, um, but it's all the NPG is closing for two or three years, which is frank. when very soon. I didn't know that for know renovation, that. and I don't know where. Well, I think the there's a. Go. I think they're going to sort of move the pictures around, which is not nice. Oh, wow. oh wow! Yeah, wow, wow, wow! So why yeah. why is it uh, 20th century artists have kind of got your goat? Well, it's um, <laughs> it as that was a bit a, a discovery way back then, and I was just very drawn to. It's not the whole thing. I think I find some of them quite muddy and and in a sort of slightly depressing post-war way. Um, John Piper and Craxton and the, they're incredible stuff. Mm. Um, and Keith Vaughan, who mm. I was slightly obsessed with, Keith Vaughan. He's another one. He was a he used to share a studio with Minson, and um, he he just drew obsessively male nudes. Mm. There are, I mean, you can buy them for very little money because mm. he did hundreds and hundreds of them. And there are, he was gay, obviously. Yeah, right? he uh, he killed himself too in the seventies. How old was he? He was quite a bit older, but he uh, it's and he used to take there. pictures at the ponds, didn't he? And then draw yeah, people at the pond, like there. men at the ponds. Yeah, but I read his his diaries came out when I was about eighteen, and I got them out of the library. I'll never forget this. Isn't it funny? The the the, the formative touchstones like the Brian yeah. Mills catalogue, mm. but but Keith Vaughan's diaries are one of those for me because he he lived this extraordinarily Spartan existence eventually, and he had a trick towel for wiping up cum from him and his friends. And he kept it under the bed and he'd bring it out. It literally like, you know when you put a, a towel on the, on the line in, yeah. in a frost and it's just literally like, it's literally stiff as a ball. Like a pop And he's trick yeah. tires. Yeah. And I remember reading that just going, wow. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just a life I want to aspire to. <laughs> yes. He also, he was into uh, sorts of autoeroticism and eventually used to connect himself to the, to the mains. What? To give him sort of electric shocks. Oh my God. Onto his bits. Yeah. Wow, how the how how would you do that without like destroying your member? So, maybe that's why he killed himself. <laughs> oh my god, he was in like major pain. But uh, but like yeah, I loved all that, that mid-century stuff, and I got very into their stories. stories. Uh, there were these two extraordinary men, uh, Calhoun and McBride, the Roberts. Yeah, these who were lovers, beautiful, beautiful Scottish, Scotch, mm. self-destructive yeah. things, and they were in Bacon and Freud's circle. And we're talking at a time when homosexuality was desperately illegal Ooh. and but within art circles uh it was accepted everyone was like au fait with everyone being openly gay and sleeping with each other and it's a different i mean it's a sort of demimonde you know soho was just something else really and normal rules didn't seem to apply you yeah. know but it's a uh, it's incredibly 
I've always thought this, you know, it's one of those worlds, it's like, you know, being a friend of Dylan Thomas. You look at Thomas's life, but actually knowing him was really difficult. And these people, the, the difference between Bacon and Minton, Freud and the others is that Bacon and Minton and Freud worked. They would get plastered and then they go home and work. Mm. The Roberts had this amazing little moment, mm. but then they forgot to do any paintings. They just got pissed for the rest of their lives. And Was then, their work good? Yes, it's very, it's very striking, um, particularly Cahoon. And but th then they just lived off their reputation. There's a great book about them called wow. The Last Bohemians, and there's a chapter called The Wraiths of Soho, f f and they it's desperately sad i mean they just hop, they became like ghosts you know and there's a lot of that about and as norman bowler who i interviewed for the documentary yes the actor who, yeah yeah who and, and i remember this is another moment you see i knew him from softly softly when i was a kid the zed car spin-off and i remember first coming across norman bowler's name and connection to minton think it can't be and then there's a picture of him and, oh my god oh wow and he was an 18 year old bodybuilder and minton was basically in love with him, I think. And he's a wonderful man, Norman. But um And you own one of those paintings, don't you? Or drawing drawings. I do, not of him, of oh, I own him. one of Spencer Churchill, oh, okay. the wrestler. Yeah. Uh, um but uh Norman said um he got out of it. He just thought, I I've got you know, he just you know, the scales from fell from his eyes. He just looked around at the coach and horses one and just thought, I've got to get out of here or it'll destroy me. Is that me. the pub, the coach and horses? Yeah. That was the one. That's still there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And all the the French house. On Greek Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um and he and then he said about four or five years later, he was passing through so and he thought, I'll just pop in. And he said he popped back to the coach and horses and Jeffrey Bernard was was halfway through the same story he was telling the night that Norman <gasps> left. Oh my God. And he just turned on his heel and never went back. Wow. Jeffrey Bernard was the yeah. critic, theatre critic. And, and you know, legendary drinker. And I'll show you a picture. Minton did a drawing of him when he was 17. He's, he was the most astonishingly beautiful man. Really? Yeah. And then <laughs> you wouldn't know it, obviously. So Minton shared a studio with the Roberts. Yeah. And they, they were like the Gilbert and George of their time, yeah. so they both made work. They both integrated into the work. Yeah. They weren't separately working. They were one piece. And, and, then, there, was, and, and there was a sort of friendly, not-so-friendly rivalry. rivalry. Yeah. And I, and I think that sort of goes for all of them. I, it, like all those sort of circles, you know, people end up, you know, they the, the reason that Lennon and McCartney worked so well together is because they go, oh, oh, you've written Penny Lane, have you? I'll write Strawberry Fields. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> and then separately, it's not the same. Yeah. And I think there's a there's an amazing point for all of them where they're just sort of bubbling over with, with creativity. But Minton felt detached from it, and I think ultimately... He was. People saw him as an illustrator, not a painter, and mm. and he is an amazing illustrator. Mm. But eventually, I think it sort of preyed on him. But he was he was he was doomed always. He said to, to people from from quite early, "I won't live past 40. I don't think he wanted to. But he was also incredibly well known in his lifetime, wasn't he? Compared to some of the other artists yeah, who yeah, became yeah, yeah. better known later. Yeah. When you were talking about the price of that uh, bacon. No, sorry, not Bacon. Um, Freud painting. Mm. It probably would have been like 500 quid or something at the time because his paintings didn't sell for a lot until much, mm. much later. Even when David Dawson started working with Freud, mm. they were actually still quite affordable. Were they? Yeah, so it's quite amazing Should to think that know. they were all exactly. like a... I know, if you had a time machine. But it is quite crazy to think of that circle of people oh, yeah, yeah. in Soho all being in the same room at the same time. Yeah. And like, it's totally surreal. And not realising that they were part of it. They were changing yeah, exactly. our history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's always... That I, I love that. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the curse of the biopic. It's what I call that. Uh, oh my god! Morning, Manet. Morning, Monet. You, you just go. You can't believe it. No. But they really were all those people who just like 
God, hung out. And I love all the stories as yeah. well, like the yeah. one of Minton having a crush on his studio mate and like how he would, they would like kick him out of the studio and be like, wait outside because you're too emotional, cry on crying the on the stairs. Yeah. All the kind of like height of emotion of it. Yeah. And he was quite an extreme character, wasn't he, Minton? So he'd have like real highs where he'd like dance on the dance floor and go completely crazy. Manic. Yeah, manic. Do you think he's manic then, depressive bipolar? Or? I think so, yes. I mean, it's what they, we would have called manic depression, yeah. probably bipolarity now, certainly. He's, there's, there's only that time tiny fragment of him that dancing clip. but it's it, it's amazingly revealing because his face just falls into what we know from the pictures yeah. everyone you talk to he was, the, he was the life and soul kindest man amazingly generous but also troubled troubled so self-destructive and 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 he'd have he would dance dance and dance and dance and then just sort of flop Flagged, and yeah. and he'd bring you know um, rough trade back and get beaten up and all sorts of really? stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he sort of like manifested that, what do you call it, when you feel like you deserve it or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like you make it happen. It's the very it's the old... fulfilling prophecy type thing. Old, it's, like, it's the old-fashioned sort of gay journey into misery. Yeah. But it's yeah. it was real. I mean, it's, it's, tragic, it's terribly yeah. sad. But as I tried to stress in the documentary, ultimately, it's, it's not one long walk to the gallows. There's so much joy in his work. Mm. There really is. And, that you know, when he went to Corsica and he's just like, it just, the colours just blew his mind. Yeah, that's he an amazing... Imagine going there from austerity London. Yeah. Just, and he's just like, wow. And, and also he brought it back, didn't it. he, with him later. Yeah. So yeah. the later work, when he returns to London, you see that More impact. Vibrant. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Well, I've got to say, this documentary you made is just phenomenal. So that everyone should watch this. It's, it, I, it's not an iPlayer anymore. We found it on YouTube. The whole thing's been oh, uploaded right. on YouTube. Everything's fine now. It's all there. But <laughs> as you, long as you can see it. You created oh, this uh, documentary and you took it to the BBC and they said that no one knew him so they weren't going to get behind it and then so you funded it yourself. Well, what happened was uh, I'd been talking... I, I originally approached the BBC about doing a drama, I mean, yeah, 20 years ago. Would you have wanted to play him yourself? No, no, it was... I just I had... It was that thing we were talking about. It's like this... He's he's like an amazing way into all these different lives. Mm -hmm. He's like the sort of... Conduit. He's like... Um, he's like... In, um, I'm a camera, you know, so Isherwood figure just go, mm. look, we followed Johnny and then look, 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 yeah, look. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but it was, you know, um, they said, I'm ashamed, they actually said, I won't say it was, but said, I'm ashamed to say that I don't think even Bacon is a big enough figure these days. Wow. That was for, you know, yeah. arts. Like crazy. Um, and then over the years, I just thought, well, you know, these people aren't going to be here for much longer. And... Although we did discover a lot more people are around because he, because so many of his students were like 16 or 17. They're mm. all cracking on, but there's a lot of them around, which mm -hmm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I thought, I, I think I'm just going to have to do this. Mm. And I did talk to various broadcasters and, and they just said, I said, he's not really well known enough. And I thought, well, I'm just going to do it myself. And then very happily, blessedly, um, once we'd made about a third of it, I, we, we sort of cut together a trailer. Taster all. And then yeah. the BBC said, Yes. So, oh, they did. Great. Yeah, yeah. So they they retrospectively, you know, commissioned it. From well, I think there. why it works so well is because you almost like step into his shoes and you go on the journey mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. So it's very much about your own, you know, experience too. And it was like your own journey. You well, know. It's, it's what you're talking about. It's the passion thing. It's like I I did my documentaries on horror movies and stuff like that, and I've resisted a lot of other things because I don't feel the same. And I could easily present things about. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I'm doing the Beardsley one is I also love Aubrey Beardsley and, and I could do one about Goya or something. I could mm. present it. Yeah. But I, it doesn't mean the same. And I think it, I think you can communicate that passion and also that joy again if, if you're a real 
enthusiast, then you've got a different, you're coming out from Absolutely. a different place, aren't you? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I loved the painting that he made really early on where he's like reclining, kind of lying on the floor almost with that kind of, you know, landscape around him. Oh, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And then at the end when you find that, that, yes, it's, that it's woman that met him on the street yeah. and then that painting of him, yeah. you know, talking picture. about... Yeah, the well, last death picture. in the background. Yeah, yeah like with like Grim Reaper. Grim Reaper it, kind yeah. of figure. It was an amazing moment, that, honestly. Because, you were really emotional. Well, it, I, I honestly... I Did you know, see it on camera for the first yeah, time? Yeah, I didn't know it was coming. Yeah, I didn't know if that... Is that really... Yeah, and and Matt Thomas, who's the... Uh, producer director who is he, he was also is, is so utterly brilliant but also he loves doing those kind of match shots so if i go into a room and then we go from yes, you know, so just it just, just brings it all yeah, back totally. together it's amazing but uh louise bain who owned the picture was his student he it was a life is never that neat and it really was yeah he took her for a cup of coffee she saw him on the king's road he took her for a cup of coffee and he tried to give her like 400 quid should have told her something and she said i don't want any money and he said stay there and he came back half an hour later with this wet picture still wrapped in newspaper and then two days later she opened the paper and he died and but it's that it's a statement you know and it is that it's a it's that figure again yes it's the same um form the male form like lying down down down. i know yeah naked yeah Yeah. do you think he was was looking for someone to connect with just before he killed himself and she just happened to be the one that... I, th- I think so. I mean, you, know, you can never tell what's in people's minds, can you? And he tried a few times and it might have been another... Oh, he did yeah. make attempts. It might have been another cry for help. Always overdoses, were they all? I think he tried to gas... Yes, he tried to gas himself with a, with a gas poker, putting a bag over his head and a gas poker, oh as I remember. I think, uh, but... You know, but then I remember talking to someone around the time whose brother-in-law had killed themselves and... Uh, he said, well, you know, we, we intervened so many times, but we all, I said, we all knew one day we just won't be there. Won't be there, yeah. And that's why. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but I think he was on such a course uh, and and felt, you know, there's a, there's a world in which he, the last pictures of these big history pictures, the death of Nelson and stuff like that, which I think are rather good, but mm. people just didn't like them. And you can sense he's kind of going, I don't know what to do. And there could have been something like another Corsica which just made him go, oh, it's this. Yes. And that, that might have... But he was he was up in Scotland like two days before he killed himself, 
working on a commission and stuff like that. But that's probably something to do with his condition. Yeah. You know, people just plunge, don't they? Yeah. And they can go from... Yeah. But if people say, I don't understand, he was the life and soul of the weekend. Someone could be amazing at the party, laughing their head off, and then they go home and hang themselves. And that's, what, like, that's yeah. what And also, I think he was so deeply sensitive that he'd had this success and approval, and then he kind of lost that success in a way because also the times were changing and the students yeah. were painting different kinds of paintings. Oh, yes. There's inspired a, by, like, yeah. Jackson Pollock yeah, and yeah. that whole movement of art. And he was yeah. against it. And he was and, against it. And then, yeah, it's a really fascinating story. And then the idea that people like Bacon and Freud kind of weren't, you know, they they had that competition between them. And then Bacon doing that amazing quote, which Russell This incredible quote, but he he fell from grace, basically. He he was the leader of the pack. And suddenly his peers were like trailblazing beyond him. And they didn't sort of take him with them. They sort of disregarded him and there's this amazing quote which I didn't even realise was Bacon where he poured champagne on John Minton's head in the in the coach and horses in the, in the colony rooms I think. in the colony yeah, rooms yeah. and said champagne for my real friends real pain for my sham friends yeah, that's basically calling John Minton a sham yeah which would have been an absolutely desperately sad for a man of his condition anyway to yeah. deal with that with like such low self-esteem but to hear that from someone who was your you thought your peer mm. To look down on you in that regard must have been. Well, they're horrific. not very. Ge- they're not generous. It's it's not a generous world. There's so much backbiting and and as I say about that quote about Freud, there's a, they just he sort of said hey, he wasn't a painter and they just they're really quite dismissive and it's I feel for him very much in those sort of situations because you you can project yourself into that and sort of... Totally. I think particularly being gay and that whole journey he went on, you see the kind of longing in his early work and that kind of like, you know, aching for like something that he Mm. wasn't allowed to have, like something forbidden or something and his obsession with sailors. Mm. And then by the end, the, the impact of the rejection and that's such a theme that I've seen, you know, in the gay community even now is this idea of rejection either from your family or from society or when you're growing up, you know, you, you might know that you're different and then that, that sense of rejection can just be devastating. But you're also, you're comparing yourself constantly. Yeah. Compare and despair. (laughs) To body types or facial or whatever or you feel like you're, you know, get left behind by everything Mm. and you're desperate. I mean, it's it's the oldest story in the world, isn't Mm. it? But it depends how you wrestle with it, how you cope with it and the people who survive uh, either, I think, become content Mm. or they, they, outstrip it by becoming impregnable like bacon you know bacon was such a nasty little queen yeah but a brilliant painter and a brilliant worker mm. i mean with his own extraordinary trouble you know but when his oh God. when his lover george killed himself in george Paris, Dyer, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and bacon kept the news back for 24 hours in order to stop it spoiling his opening yeah you know, yeah yeah there's a certain level of, of it's uh, just unbelievable troll. <laughs> and also even and even freud like he painted every single day you know it's all about the painting yeah and it it, it becomes the priority it, yeah. but also that's interesting because that both those artists have become incredibly well known regardless of what that bbc <laughs> person <laughs> thought but um their work is so much more in a way psychological and kind of has a like you were talking about that portrait of um by freud of minton like they just have this kind of interior 
you know, pers- personality and characteristics yep. within it. And then Bacon took it even more, mm. you know, almost like strips the flesh off mm, it and gets down to, yeah. I always remember that painting of the tap with like, it's almost like a body pouring through a yeah, tap yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, he sort of gets to the root of human existence mm. and pain and sadness and sexuality and all these things. But I, I always felt a bit like John Minton's were slightly more surface. It's almost like... They are, yes. And I mean, the, but they're still great, but it's yeah. almost like he wanted to be loved or something too much. I, I think there's that a, need for there's a love. A pop, and, there's a pop art vibe to it. Yeah. And, and also the illustration, yeah, the illustration more that, yeah. haunts his painting because he was, a, a I think, a, a master illustrator. And they're amazing. And the uh, books he did yeah. are like works of art themselves. I mean, they're they're incredible. But it's, it's not... What, what but maybe that enough, wasn't good enough for him. It wasn't enough for him and I yeah. think it wasn't enough for the art establishment because yeah. he, he wanted to prove himself as a painter. I think, I mean, I've got, I've got one of his oils and... and uh, Where did you get it from? Uh, f- from an auction. Did you? How much did you pay for it, can we ask? Five pounds. No. 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 Oh. <laughs> Five pounds plus some more money. <laughs> Five pounds and change. And, and this arm and this leg. <laughs> but it was worth it. That for it was you was it. like... It was entirely. It brings me daily joy. And but what is it of? It's Well, it's fascinating. It's a, it's, 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 it says it's labelled Portraits of Michael. And we could, I couldn't find who it was. And then I showed it to Norman Bowler. And he said, oh, that's Josh Avery. And I knew about Josh Avery. But he said, oh, you like to be called Mike. And that, it's one of those amazing things. I mean, Norman you might be the never... only person... Left you'd, if you'd never yeah, met him, you'd he would just be a portrait that. of unknown Michael. Is it more? Is it a very crutchy sort of? No, thing? no, it's a, it's head and shoulders. It's, head and it's shoulders. a lovely picture. I'll show you in a minute. But yeah. but um, it's uh, th- there is there is a lot to be said for for those criticisms. They lack psychological depth. There's there's his obsession with the male form and the uh, the center of gravity. Yeah. In those which he did in those wonderful Windsor <laughs> yes. chair pictures. Yeah, yeah. And they've got I love them. They're better love. they're monumental. Aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I I wonder where if he'd lived, whether he might have gone somewhere much more interesting in that way. I mean you you know, Bacon and Freud were gifted painters, but they were also very lucky. And but they yeah. went out of fashion. So if you look yeah, at the arc yeah, of yeah. art history, yeah, it's yeah. the fact that at Always. some point no one was did cared about yeah. him. So for John Minton, that might have been his low at that yeah. point. But he might have sprung up and yeah. become even more famous. Than and also, I think creative. someone like yeah. Freud and Bacon, they're, they're, some of their later work is like so incredible. Yeah. Actually, Bacon, I think Bacon less so actually, but the uh, Freud particularly, the, yeah. you know, the last, say, 10 oh, yeah. years of his life. Oh, yeah. I mean, monumental, incredible yeah. paintings. So you're, you're right. I mean, Minton was so talented yeah. that maybe he would have. But it's, it's we'll never know, but it's... Uh... You know, or he might have really might have just gone into illustration and just totally mastered that and become. I mean, he, that's what he's most famous for, mm-hmm. if he's famous at all. I, I was very keen. I, I started off the documentary by saying, "You may not have heard of John Minton," because I didn't want to presume. Because I thought if I was watching this, I'd go, "Yes, I fuck it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was amazed to discover how few people had, and I was very touched by the amount of of the responses I got. To that, as, well, as, you, as a, you introduced you know, people to his work, yeah, and yeah. you I, said he was forgotten, and he mm, had been forgotten, and mm. you did bring. I wasn't really aware of him at no, all. The, I only knew him as a name, uh, actually. So it was fascinating yeah. documentary for me because I, I learned so much yeah. from it, and I had no idea he was connected to all those people, and oh, yeah. all of that is an incredible. He's not thing. a fundamental point in art history. He is part of a collection yeah. of of yeah. In, of a moment, isn't he? But I think it's you know what I've responded to all those years ago, and still do, is. Is that I, I find his pictures beautiful and mm. uh, and sad mm. uh, and and also mid cent I love that mid century palette yeah. of the, the sort of there's a very there's a sort of metallic blues and mm. the, there's wonderful pictures of Rotherhithe and the docks and you I called him an urban romantic yeah, I, yeah. yeah there's a rustiness to them and it's mm. very post war 
it's still sort of, but it's sort of optimistic, yes. you know, for a while at any rate. Yeah. There's a sort of newness about things, the wonderful travel posters and stuff like that. And, and I love all that kind of, it's like, right, the war is over, we're moving yeah, forward. I love post-war you know? architecture, yeah. like Brutus architecture yeah, yeah. for me always feels so hopeful and proud mm. and futuristic and looking forward. But as stuff. you talk, you know, the arc of history, it's like it was it was absolutely irredeemably despised yes. and now people genuinely love it yeah. and when oh, things... no, people still hate the national theater oh yes Barbican, yes my god but don't i, I love it i, I love, love them. them i love, I love yeah. i can't get enough although of actually it, i had to grow so to love them in my 20s i really didn't get no, it. no i agree absolutely. and then in my yeah. 30s i got it it's really funny it's like yeah. it was like i had to mature yeah. in order to but i think time and understand it in the world matured as well and the time that it became less brutal yeah it became more acceptable yeah 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 you know something that I really like about the documentary is that it's kind of like, which we've been talking a lot about, we just interviewed an artist who passed away and we did her last interview, and there's this kind of idea of somehow recording people's voices and uh, field recording, but also, uh, you know, documenting histories that are important to yeah. maybe smaller groups of people, but that might be out of fashion at the moment, mm. but in, you know, are really important to document. Oh, and that's what, yeah, and that's yeah. what I thought was really great about mm. the show, but also in what you've been doing in some of your shows that you've been commissioning and writing, um, like Queers that you did yes. for BBC Four, yes. that you were in. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about that? Do you, do, do you find this idea of like social change as an important thread in what you do now? Or is it something that's becoming more so? Well, I just, that was one of those things. What I, I get, you know, I get emails saying sometimes, you know, would you be interested in this? And I'll tell you one later, which always makes me laugh, uh, where someone was like, they wouldn't tell me what it was about. They were so convinced it was like the opportunity of a lifetime. I just kept saying, but what is it? Oh, well, uh, I'll tell you. But, but sometimes something happens. And and BBC Four just approached me saying, "Would like you to do some monologues for the fiftieth anniversary of partial decriminalisation." And I just went, I, "I literally, there's nothing I'd rather do." It was the whole thing was so exciting, mm. and the idea, first of all, of of commemorating it, and then monologues, which I absolutely adore as a form. Uh, Alan Bennett's such a huge influence on on me and uh, everything I've done, and. Uh, you know, celebrating and investigating uh, gay life over a century, but and then also getting new writers in, which there are so few opportunities in television these days just to get a new voice. It's mm. like this is a goldmine. Mm. But, you know, a huge part of it was was that, um, was testimony, you know, and, and uh, all of the stories really to a greater or lesser extent based on some sort of real experience. And mm. I, was, I was really trying to come at it as a curator in, in a different way. So I remember going to London when I first moved here and I went to what I thought was a very sophisticated gay party. I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> but um, And there was this wonderful old guy there who, prop, you know, he's like pro a Polari speaker. Mm. He was proper. And I remember, this is all I remember, two things I remember about the party was what I didn't get off with anyone. Disaster. Uh, the three things. Secondly, <laughs> that around about midnight, I thought, if I don't get out of here now, I think they might eat me. <laughs> you know. And thirdly, that this old guy said, it's never the same, you know, dear. Never the same. And it's always stuck with me. And he meant after 67, it wasn't as good. And I'd never forgotten that. And wow. you talk, you look, read a lot of testimony of people who missed the war. That's what it's called, I missed of the course. war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because of the risk and yeah. the... Yeah. And... and, and, and and this is this is a fundamental thing. I think it it, it it throbs at the heart of the gay experience now and forever, is the the um, the victories you achieve towards being accepted 
also mean that you lose your outsider status and your outsider status is also an enormous part of who you are. Yeah. And it, you never, that tension, I think, is fascinating mm. and it exhibits itself in different ways. So, you know, it's amazing. We can get married, can have totally equal rights. We can yeah. have children, adopt children, have children, whatever. But there's also people going, but I don't, I don't want to be gentrified. I don't yeah. want to be and they, mi they miss the yeah. criminalisation. Yeah. They miss the secret furtive world yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's a handshake and a wink. It and Polari, can you just speak about Polari a bit for people who don't know what that is? I wish I could speak it. Can you well, speak no, uh, it? Well, no. I would language. love to do a course on Polari. I wonder if there's a light, a light school. We go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Polari is a, it's a thieves' cant, as Matthew Baldwin, who wrote that monologue, uh, says. Um, it, it's a strange language which grew up uh, in the, the turn of the century, really. Some sort of combination of Romany and, and 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 often just reversing words you know so uh, so uh, Varda that dolio leak which means you know look at that beautiful face and <laughs> lallies for legs and, a, and 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 it was a survival mechanism you know and people had a, a secret code they could communicate with and so if you watch amazing the naked civil servant mm. so it's all those those sort of coffee bars and places which um which were raided and but it was an amazing community. Mm. And, uh, you know, there are still people around who, like Bette Bourne, who can speak, can speak it. it. And it is like a, it's like a lost language. It's like a dying language. Yeah. You know, I was just reading the new book, uh, Mr. Know-It-All by John Waters. And it's just come out on Little Brown, I think, the publisher. And there's a whole chapter in there where he talks about... Um, how disappointed he is in a way in becoming respectable yeah, yeah. and this idea that like his films are now being shown at MoMA and when he made them the soundtracks to them were totally like legal and you would never get permission for him to broadcast them mm. and now he's got them all signed off and yeah, yeah. you know now he has people queuing for him to do a talk or now he you know everyone's That's reading his inevitable. books and that he's some, somehow having to deal with That's this idea that Quentin, he's no longer an outsider. That was whole Quentin Crisp's thing yeah, wasn't totally, it? He hated yeah. the fact that homosexuality was becoming Okay, accepted. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And and I mean the the, be, the what John Waters should do now is go to MoMA and do a big shit on the stage. <laughs> and, eat it. and eat it. Yeah. That would do it. Oh my god. That would be like a full circle. Wouldn't yeah. it? He's yeah, in yeah. their permanent collection. Uh, they'd, love, they'd love to have yeah, that one. Yeah, but that's yeah. that's what Tony Benn told about you know in his in his last years when he used to do these lecture tours and and you know ninety percent of his audience were Daily Mail readers the people who literally once thought he was practically the Antichrist yeah. and. It, had him poisoned and, I, he, and he said that the journey the, the dangerous thing is you become venerable mm. and then you're totally defanged and mm. I suppose that's a journey of every artist like that it, the journey towards becoming Sir Mick Jagger yeah is you think and the people who've not done that I know but David Bowie said no for that reason exactly because he said that he didn't um, I just looked into it my mum just got an MBE and I was looking in the first thing I did was actually look at all the people who have always who turned it down yeah. and the reasons are really brilliant yeah. but his was great because he's like I did not do all of this to become David Bowie CBE yeah. like because that somehow then puts you in a different and he's doing, I mean, whereas my mum's thing is for charity well, it, and it, therefore it, you kind of that's it neutralises your campaign. Yeah, and it kind of makes it? you something else. It's it more makes about you your... totally establishment. It does, and about yeah. Britain and yeah. Great Britain rather than the British you being... Empire. Exactly. Yeah, the and now we have Sir Ian Duncan Smith. I mean, if this if this whole whole thing wasn't ever totally devalued, it's this now. But it's you know Bowie was like an artist to his death and beyond. But you know that's it's an incredible career. Mm. And also, he wasn't. I don't so think you could limit him to one place either. No, he was so much beyond like a country or mm. the boundary yeah. of a place. It's the real thing. Yeah, and I think that that last album. Oh, actually, my favourite is um, 
the one before, um, that song, um, Where Are We Now? Yeah, amazing. Which just came out of nowhere. Yeah. I, it makes me cry. It's so beautiful. But everything he does in that last stage, and then and then he did, you know, he did that Broadway thing. Yeah, the Eva Van Hoven Didn't show. really work, but, yeah. but he was like, he was trying, he was trying. And then, the, uh, and then a year, about a year after he died, someone noticed that the black star, if you leave it out in the light, it changes colour. So there's what do you mean on the album? On the album, on the album yeah. sleeve, yeah. it sort of changes to a sort of rainbow. Yeah, the ink. It's like there's, there's one last thing. It's, it's so like a sort beautiful. of Easter egg. You know, you think God, he's he's doing it from beyond the grave. <laughs> you know what else I really loved that he did? Um, his one of his last interviews, he spoke all about like the next generation and um, Kendrick Lamar, and sort of almost like passed the baton to him, and was talking about how progressive and futuristic you know Kendrick was and I think that was such a generous thing to do at the end of your mm -hmm. life to kind of talk about somebody else rather than your own legacy or something yeah. amazing tell us about the uh, the guy who tried to commission you to do something but kept it all secretive and furtive and wouldn't tell you what the oh, thing I know I have to do that secretly oh I but thought that was right oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's not for public knowledge <laughs> it's really funny though. what is this um, next uh, show you're creating then that you're producing uh, Aubrey Beardsley yes yes so Aubrey Beardsley Beardsley um, is an amazing forget another another part of another circle uh this time essentially oscar wilde circle and he was um a supernaturally gifted artist who from the age of seven uh basically was condemned to death by tb wow. and he but he was very, he's a very delicate boy he looks like a stick with a with a, a center party and um he sort of dabbled, and then he, his, his great hero was an artist called Edward Burden Jones, and he oh. went to meet him. Burden Jones was incredibly kind and and supportive and helpful. And then Beardsley just does it. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to believe. You look at his work, and it's like if if he'd lived through his eighty, you go, oh, that's the middle period. And his middle period is about six months in eighteen ninety three. He changes style. Oh so quickly and with such skill it's almost unbelievable and mostly from his sickbed and so what was his work like before this time well he's very influenced by burn jones sort of pencil drawings they're very will willowy figures yes and then he, he got this commission to illustrate uh more Dartha, the death of arthur uh, and he does it in this very um uh william morris burn jones style and it, it's like it changes his life but very quickly he gets bored and starts to experiment and starts smuggling in these very strange, grotesque figures. He's obsessed with fetuses, and they get odder and odder. And then he illustrates Wilde's play Salome, which changes everything. Mm. And um, and then he becomes the, the uh, art editor of the Yellow Book, which is the principal, you know, text of the fantasy arc. And and then it just explodes and it becomes the Beardsley period. He literally is it. He's 1895, that's what he is. And then Wilde falls and he's sort of pulled down in the fallout. Wow. Uh, and he dies at 25, uh, having done more work in, in about four or five years than most people achieve in their entire life. It's an extraordinary And recognised by the RA at the time or...? No, no, he was very... I mean, he was... He's, outsider. He's a real outsider. But he's a, he's a, it's a sort of strange thing. He's, he's a sort of outsider who wants to get in. Once he's in, he wants to get out. Yeah. And he's constantly pulling against it. He can't... He's a self-saboteur. His last letter... His, his final publisher was an amazing man called Leonard Smithers, who is... Um, 
one of the most wonderfully disreputable figures you'll ever... A charming man, incredibly kind and very sleazy. He's sort of pornographer. Mm. But in the end, he was the only person who would publish Beardsley because his reputation had sort of dive-bombed post-Wild. But he would sort of mortgage his house to help his artists. But from his deathbed in Monton, where I'm going next week, um, in the south of France, uh, he, he wrote this letter, I implore you, destroy all obscene drawings in my death agony, A.B. Wow. And Smithers, of course, didn't. <laughs> he, uh, he sold them and then eventually dealt in fakes and stuff like that. But um, his, uh, his, his great uh, infamy lies, and he did a series of illustrations for Lysistrata, the Aristophanes. Why can, sorry, why can't he destroy his own drawings? Oh, well, Smithers he's... owned them, had them in London. He was oh, in France. And he did this play called Lysistrata, a famous play, which we should do now, not just the play, but the actual idea, because yeah. all the women of Athens go on a sex strike just in, until their men stop fighting. It's a oh, great yeah, idea. I've heard about we should all go on a sex strike. Yes. I'm trying. And, <laughs> uh, but as, as in the play, they all have enormous phalluses. I mean, like they're, in, they're literally brushing against people's noses like that. They're extraordinary extraordinarily rude pictures uh, but they're, with, they're beautiful you see they're absolutely beautiful things and there's a he's a strange mixture the, the delicacy of his line it's it, like nobody else his use of black and white his use of negative space he influ is hugely influential I know and I think he really inspired the kind of 60s yes. like hippie movement and you know the, the, the graphic design that was well, related to all of he that he had this second a second life again. Yeah, he he was he was he was it. He died in uh, eighteen ninety five, uh, and that was it. Consigned to history in nineteen sixty six, uh, the VNA had a massive retrospective, and it it changed the face of of um, cool Britannia. Mm -hmm. as it were. It, it, it's a huge part of what made the sixties swing is all mm -hmm. Totally, people went nuts for it, and everywhere. There are po Athena but posters. Like what, like of, Peter Blake sort of like? Well, just all, not just the influence on the on the arts at the time, but just people, literally posters, uh, uh, posters on everyone's wall. There's a famous one from Salome called the Peacock Skirt, and 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 every and the whole Bieber thing is basically Beardsley. Yeah, everything became Art Nouveau because of that exhibition. It's it's one of wow. those incredible instances where you just go. Everything changed because of that exhibition. I always think of Beardsley, um, I think they're slightly different times, maybe not though, uh, uh, with Erte as well. Yes, Erte? yes, yeah. Because that's similar, I think they were Who's born Erte? at a similar time. Erte was like a Russian-French artist who was kind of more like well-known in the 20s. It's a, there's a, and, and Mucha is another, there's a lot of influences around, swilling around the same time which become sort of Art Nouveau, but Beardsley is a, you know, he's, he's the master and it's... Uh, uh, it's just that it's fascinating that, as you say, that thing of, of like a second act, mm. you know, not not forgotten because people took the baton and in and, and terms of like magazine illustration, they always knew he was the, the man. But then on the, the influence, inner circles, they knew of him. Yeah. and the, But then the influence on pop culture wow. in the mid 60s is incredible. It's it's you can't you can't really think. Do of you think the there's that. anything comparable in our lifetime that, that shows that have had that sort of effect on the world? Uh, Balamori. Balamori. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think, I suppose everyone, there's about to be another busy retrospective. Is there? So we see what happens. And, and um, I suppose every curator dreams that yes. their show is the one. But it does happen. You, yeah. you kind of, not just those blockbuster shows, but 
it's it's amazing how I went to the one last year at the RA um, where they'd put together as much as they could of Charles the First's art collection, which was which was dis, you know sold off by Cromwell when his head was cut off. Yeah, yeah. and you know they're incredible pictures because he 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 bought someone else's collection. That was the sort of locus of his collection, and it was astonishing then, and it's astonishing now. Oh. But the most moving thing was that some of these pictures were on the same walls for the first time in three hundred and seventy wow. years. Wow. Where was that? Where was that? The, the Royal Academy, and that I found that terribly moving somehow. I mean, Charles the First is a monster, fascinating man. As someone um, said a, a bad king with great taste. Yes, uh, but. Um, but I found that strangely moving. It's like these these pictures have not shared a wall. Sometimes they're pairs, you know, and they've been. Split, you were saying that you know. about Minton that a lot of the works yeah, would only sure. have lived yeah. in that world in his studio, and then they get sent off around the world to collections wherever, and they're never seen again. And no. sometimes when you yeah. bring works back together, like we did David Dawson recently for the Lucian Freud portrait show, self portrait show, yes, yeah. and a lot of them works would never have been in the same room yeah. with each other for the past and some of them have not even been shown in public and some of them are series well, I mean, you know. do you know what I mean they're like triptychs or whatever they well you get obviously up. they disappear into collections yeah. mm. and also there's a thing I, did, I didn't know about until recently where there's an actual lending limit excuse me so some of the Beardsleys some of the most famous Beardsleys will not be in this exhibition because they've been lent three times in the last five years and you, there's a limit because it's because they're delicate and stuff yeah because like works and, on paper particularly you yeah. have to like, really that, protect like da vinci as well like the one that's coming yeah. up the Louvre yeah. is going to be the last one isn't it yes for they like, won't see it in our lifetime yeah. and that's i mean there's something really brilliant about that as yes. well i got to I know, they need to go back into the dark drawer yeah it's like the queen's collection she has loads of yeah. amazing drawings, and, drawings yeah and they they can only come out like once but you know that wonderful uh, thing that um that that project which dr bender grosvenor should have on is amazing man um uh, we, he does Bender uh, Bender yeah oh Bendor okay Bendor yep. he does uh, um, Britain's Lost Masterpieces mm -hmm. and they're, they're digitising the collection the storage collections of, of all these basically everything that's mm. in storage uh, around in museums and stuff because they want to get them shown and also he's got an amazing he find he just finds literally find, he found a Van Dyke and he's just kind of they're just there mm. or they've been painted over or they're slightly disguised and he found this he he um, Re-identified this portrait of Bond Prince Charlie and and stuff like that. That and it's it's um it's amazing. But unless they're out there, they're mm -hmm. literally just going to stay in in dark rooms forever. Vaults, yeah. And you, you know most museums sort of display two percent of their collection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's only when they're sort of rotated or someone does a, a retrospective and some of these very very good and very famous pictures are literally never seen. Mm. I think I'm trying to think back from shows that have been massive influences and there's two that spring to mind. The British show, which was what Saatchi put on, uh, that so many artists uh, of the YBA generation were inspired by, is the when they, he brought over a collection of American artists. Mm. So for the first time, a lot of people were seeing um, Ellsworth Kelly's, or they were seeing Barnett Newman's, or they were seeing uh, who who else was they seeing? Like yeah, at Boundary Road at the Saatchi. Jeff Coons, no, Jeff Coons, Jeff Coons, yeah. and stuff like that, and also yeah. the the uh, Sensation Show, which was the YBA yeah, yeah. show, which was a huge, which definitely did change popular mm, culture. Mm. Everything about yeah, that. Yeah. So many people talked about the shark in Formaldehyde, yeah, yeah. the bloodhead by Mark yeah. Quinn, Marcus Harvey's Myra Hindley with the kids' hands, Tracy Emin's Tracy bed, bed, Sarah Lucas's yeah, yeah. Rom Ewick's dad. All I don't of think Tracy's bed was in that. I think her tent was in it. But it's that sort of yeah. thing, isn't it? You're absolutely right. It's like it, it dominates the conversation. Yes. good and bad. It becomes it's an e it becomes an easy joke to talk about modern yeah. art in that way. Yeah. 
but but you only do that if you've actually had that influence. Yes. And sometimes that really does happen. It became the zeitgeist. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking of one in America was uh, an artist called Kerry James Marshall, and he had a big uh, show at the Met, and I think that changed culture within the art world. It's one of the greatest exhibitions I've ever seen yeah. in my I life. I think for so many young artists went to that show and were just so blown yeah. away by it. That's what I love that, and you, you can trace that with with all your favourite artists. You know that they they'll you know, they go they famously go to the Picasso exhibition and it just changes yeah. the yeah. history of art. Yeah. And and sometimes it's direct imitation, other times it's just like, oh, oh, I see what you're... Oh, that you brushstroke, that's it, that's what I've been looking for. Or that sort of, or just an, an attitude, you know. Yeah. There's a, Sorollo is one of my favourite painters, a Spanish, but, but he's just astonishing. He's the master of light. And there was a wonderful exhibition of his last year at the, the Royal Academy. And... and, the, and it was one of those. It wasn't, you know, it didn't. It didn't sort of. It wasn't like a, a Monet. It wasn't a blockbuster. Mm. But I went twice and just walking around it, people were just gaping. Yeah. At it. It's like Christ. These are these are good, mm. and and put them all together, mm. you get this impression. This one is just of a of a matchbox factory or something like that in Spain, and there's just a block of sunlight coming through the the, the window, and I just went up as close as I was allowed. I was going. How have you done that? Oh, yeah. mm. It actually looks like light. It doesn't even look like a colour. Mm. It's it, it defies analysis. You just go, Jesus, this man is an absolute master. Mm. It's so extraordinary. And I love that. Yeah, I love that that you don't just sort of traipse around just sort of ticking the boxes or going, Oh, it's that famous picture or something. But you can have that. If you if you find yourself in a gallery, sometimes you do stumble across a really famous picture. And it's like sort of standing next to the leading terapies. You go, is this really is this it? The actual one, or is this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but They're always you act, smaller than you then, think. But then it can also have that power. You sort of go, well, I yeah. can see what it is. Van Gogh like that. I think you know he's become so jigsaw. For yeah, artists. yeah, yeah. When you actually stand in front of one of his pictures, go, even oh, is the, that it? And even the same. The ones at the National yeah. Gallery in London. Yeah. I, that was the first thing that came into my head when you started talking about that. Mm. Um, when I saw, I think the sunflowers, or you see certain like haystacks or yeah. these paintings, they are completely incredible yeah, yeah, in yeah. real life. Yeah. Yeah. And they are smaller as well because in your head they become these giant. Or, get, or you they get, get that gentrified, for, don't they? When they get yes. produced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, you see them everywhere. They're on like a coaster or they're on... But there's also so much to discover. We've got two questions. Two questions to ask you. One, what would be your art heist? If you could steal any artwork in the world and live with it, your touchstone artwork, what would it be? Actually, why? funnily enough, I think it might... There's a Monet of uh, haystacks in the snow. Mm. And, I, and I've forgotten where that is now. But, you know, those... The, he did hundreds of those. And, they, you know, but the, I love I love snowy pictures. I love snowy landscapes. Weirdly, it's that. I think I've seen... I've, I've sat in front of that picture a you lot. You don't know where, though. I can't remember where it might be New York. Yeah, probably somewhere in the national, <laughs> knowing you. And, so the question and the second question we ask is, what is your favourite colour? Oh, um, orange. Oh, that's My favourite colour. Yeah. Why, Mark? Because your hair? Why, Mark? Grey. <laughs> Grey orange. Uh, no, I love it. You've got love a red head, aren't you? I used to be. What's okay. left of it? No, um, you're still red. I, uh, ginger beard. Collars and cuffs. Yes, hi. Um... <laughs> Uh, I love its optimism and I, I love burnt orange particularly but I love it it's great I love its earthiness it's a sort of Roman colour um, we used to in our old house we used to have a whole the kitchen wall was very very strong orange and you think you can't get away with that and it was like everyone would it was a place you'd be drawn to it by it's like this is lovely sort of mm. terracotta thing. Mm. I love it I love orange a burnt orange makes me think of like West Berlin post-war like that sort of lava wear. Yeah, yeah. Sort of imagine and, that and, colour. And upholstery. Upholstery. Yes, sort of. Yes, uh, yes. I've got burnt orange. I've got orange. Grand Budapest Hotel. 
the, in the 60s version, that sort of, I love that. Yeah. That kind of Hessian fabric, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, you've got to rush off to, where are you going to? Go to Sheffield to see Guys and Dolls with Kadif. Ah! Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Kadif was in Quiz, wasn't he? Right, yeah, yes. he's a great actor, Kadif Cohen. We just had New Year with him. Yes. Did you? It was very fun. Yeah, he there came down to are. London. It was really fun. Meant to um, be. We love yes. you, Kadif. He's great. Um, and we love you, Thank you so much. It's been yes. such a great you. privilege to hear you speak. Yes. Um, and um, we will be back very soon. We're going to be posting images of all the artworks we've spoken about yep. in today's show on our Instagram, at TalkArt. Are you on Instagram? No. No. You should start an Instagram with your artworks. Maybe I will. Okay. Good times. Nice <laughs> All right. Well, big love, everyone. Thank you so Thank much. much for listening. We'll be back Thank very you. soon. Coming on, Mark. Cheers. Okay, bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com